You are listening to the Body Charge podcast, and I'm your host, Sandy Sanderson. Welcome to the Body Charge podcast. Today's topic is how to lose weight by cleaning up your gut. And I have with me again, Andrea Nicholson, who's a specialist in the area of gut health. Um, for those who didn't hear the part one, the first one where we had an overview of the importance of gut health for overall health of the body, um, Andrea helps people address health challenges like fatigue, digestive problems, hormone imbalances, thyroid problems, and mood swings. She's a board-certified holistic nutritionist, nutrition therapist, master, and restorative wellness practitioner. So I'm really happy to have her on board today because we're going to really dive into the area of how metabolic issues affect weight, either too much weight or maybe not enough weight even. People become very sensitive to sugars, simple carbohydrates, causing them to gain excessive weight, even to the point of obesity, which is associated with diabetes type 2. Many have tried diet after diet and just can't seem to get it anywhere to reduce those inches excessive weight badly affects heart function posture and bone health and it reduces life expectancy so andrea what are the main reasons for these metabolic issues and how can metabolism be improved yeah that's a really big topic and of course there's lots of different factors that play in here obviously diet plays a huge role because that directly feeds our whole metabolic process. That's where all of our nutrients come from. That's where a lot of our toxins come from. That's where all of the building blocks that we need to make muscle and bone and tissues and hormones and enzymes and all the things, that's where it's coming from. And so that's the big piece to begin with, but it also plays a lot into overall gut health. How well are you digesting foods? How well are you eliminating toxins? How well are you actually taking those nutrients and putting them to use? You know, and that comes down to like cell health. How's your cell membranes doing? Do they have adequate sensitivity to those hormones? Do you have insulin resistance? Do you have leptin resistance? Do you have some of these other things going wrong in your body that are affecting how well you can metabolize foods? So I think we should actually back up a little bit and talk just about metabolism, what is metabolism? Yes. Because most of us think that's just the number of calories that we take in and the number of calories that we burn every day. But it's really all of the chemical reactions that are occurring in our body all day, every day, just to keep us alive. So that's making new tissues. That's breaking down old tissues that need to be gotten rid of. That's fighting off infections. It's all of the things that occur. It's not just about the food that we take in and the waste that we eliminate, it's but a it's bit all like, of those chemical reactions. Is that a bit like plugging into a PowerPoint? So we're talking about electrical energy that every process in the body needs for, for en energy to do that work, whatever that work may be. So, so it's very um, universal. It's, it's like a, what they call global, isn't it? Global in the body, a global effect. Um, and so metabolism is our PowerPoint, right? It really is. It's a very complicated process. Now, thankfully, the repair doesn't necessarily have to be complicated, but we can't just simply look at calories and expect that that's going to fix it all. It's not that simple. It's not that black and white. It really is more like a complex ecosystem. And so as you pull on one little thread, the whole thing kind of shifts with it a little bit. So we really do have to take in lifestyle 
diet, stress, toxins, you know, how well you're sleeping, stress levels, all these things play into how well all those chemical reactions are occurring. Are they occurring too much or are they not occurring enough? Do they, do we have that like sweet spot going on? So we really have to take into account all of these factors when we're looking at optimizing our metabolism. Yes. And so I guess it's very dipolar, isn't it? When you look at it, it's, it's um, the body's always swinging from one end to the other, looking for that balance point. And so many things can affect that balance point. And there's, you know, the genetic factors as well. So some people are more prone to being more sensitive and more out of balance. And we also inherit habits from from our family you know what we learn as children how to eat how not to eat how best to look after our body um you know we don't in my experience in the old <laughs> the old system i won't say how old i am but anyway <laughs> we, we didn't learn about nutrition at school let's put it that way right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what they're doing today i hope it's a lot better but um you know we we grew up with a lot of white bread lollies that's in American languages, candies. <laughs> in Australia, they call them lollies. <laughs> we used to go to the shop and buy a little bag of lollies. And so, so you know, it was a treat and it was associated with positive things. So psychologically, we, we didn't see it as bad for us at all. Um, whereas we know now that refined sugars are really like a poison. Many books have been written, studies and research show that refined sugar acts like a chemical and it's not really natural in a sense that it's been so processed and adulterated that doesn't have any of the minerals and vitamins in that were originally in the plant so the the beet or the cane sugar or wherever the sugar comes from uh, would have come packaged with a whole bunch of natural elements in it which are all stripped out of it in the processing and then they're added to the food supply that sugar that chemical sugar is added to the food supply very surreptitiously. We don't even realize it's there. It like sneaks in. I was horrified to find when I went to a restaurant in the USA and ordered a, what I thought was a nice healthy salad that they put sugar in the dressing. I go, oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, you don't really taste it. It's not really at the forefront, is it? So people don't realize it's so sneaky. What it, it is really uh, sneaky. How do we how do we really monitor what goes into our body when it's so prolific, this sugar element everywhere? It's really difficult. And it comes down to really scrutinizing labels, which is hard to do when you're eating in restaurants because they don't tell you what they're putting in their foods, which includes far more than just sugar, but there's a lot of wheat or gluten being added to things. There's lots of artificial ingredients. You not you don't necessarily know what oils it's been cooked in. There's lots of toxic things that go into our food. And so when we do have control over the things that we're buying or the things that we're consuming, like you do have more control over what you have at home, really scrutinizing those labels. And you can't just look at the nutrient panel that tells you how many grams of carbs and how many grams of sugar. You actually have to look at the ingredients too, because sometimes the panel will say zero, but when you look at the ingredients, there's two or three or four kinds of sugar in there. They just don't rise to the level where they legally have to report it, but it's still there. And people don't realize that they change the names. They just don't say yeah. sugar. No. 
you know, it could be like dextrose or, you know, something else, but, but yeah, it's, a form, it's a form of sugar. There's hundreds of names that they put sugar under and it, it's all just to be deceptive so that you don't know. So it makes it that much harder yes. for you to identify what you don't want to eat. And, and it's hard when you grow up as a child and you don't really know and your body gets used to it. So when we're consuming on a chronic level, these kind of chemicalized sugars, these stripped sugars that don't have the vitamins and minerals in anymore or the enzymes or the any of the phytonutrients that, that would normally be there to help us digest that and metabolize that. So when we have that stripped um, chemicalized sugar, what does it do to our metabolism? What kind of things can go wrong? Uh, a lot can go wrong, actually. To begin with, those sugars are absorbed very quickly. And so you'll have an, a pretty immediate blood sugar spike. And that blood sugar alone is toxic. It damages your blood vessels. It damages other tissues. That sugar can actually get tagged on to some of your cells, like your red blood cells, some of your tissues, and it actually causes them to be damaged. It causes them to age faster, which causes things like wrinkles and atherosclerosis, where your vessels aren't as pliable and flexible. They don't dilate and constrict as much as they should. They just don't have that flexibility. It also increases fat production in the liver. And if your liver becomes fat or fattier than it should, this can throw off detoxification. It can throw off digestion. It can increase your cholesterol and your triglycerides. It's highly inflammatory to the body. It makes a huge difference. And all of that can come just from eating too much sugar. It seems like fat should be what causes fatty liver or fatty tissues, but in reality, sugar is what's provoking that more than dietary fat. There've been numerous studies where they increased sugar and left fat alone and blood fats did not go up at all or did not change when fat was low and sugar was high, the fats in the blood go through the roof. When fat is high and sugar is low, no change whatsoever in the blood fats. They actually get used. We convert them into useful fuels when they're dietary fats. We also break down our body fat efficiently for fuel, but sugar gets converted to body fat. Yeah. So, so that's. Fat, fat got a bad name because they lumped it all together with their uh, trans fatty acids. So this is when they take, for instance, plant oils and they superheat it to hundreds of degrees um, and denature that so that they can make margarine out of it. And then the margarine in the factory is gray and yucky looking. So then they add extra chemicals to put a yellow color in to make it look like butter. <laughs> and so it's a really chemicalized system and also deep frying, you know, and using canola oil, which denatures very quickly, it goes rancid very quickly. And all, and when you have a denatured fat, then that introduces free radicals. But if you have a good fat, um, uh, cold pressed and uh, retaining as many nutrients in that original fat oil as possible, then that's so good for the body because the body is made up of cholesterol fats. Your nerve sheaths are made of cholesterol fat. Half the brain is made of cholesterol fat. And the whole electrical nervous system is insulated by cholesterol fats because it's an insulator. 
and we need that to function on every level we cannot we can survive certainly without sugar but we definitely cannot survive without the good fats and so that brings me to the next thing when we when we metabolize we can either burn fats or burn sugars so a lot of people have discovered that they if they have a sensitivity to the sugar they do a lot better with the fat so that means they need to go into ketosis and so we'll we'll cover that in a minute but first I'd like to just address what happens when you have a metabolism that burns sugar because I've noticed in my own research and experience that it, the byproducts are a lot more acidic and so all of these um, symptoms of premature aging and degradation are a result of free radicals more free radicals and acids in the body not being neutralized and they cause damage they steal you know the the um the good electrons from your, your from your well functioning cells and um destroy so that's what happens in a compost heap doesn't it it becomes acidic the microbes move in they make more acids and the acids break down the carbon fibers until it goes back to soil but we don't want to do that while we're alive right we don't want to be a compost heap <laughs> definitely not definitely not <laughs> So, yeah, so it's sugar, the sugar. Yeah. Sh yeah sugar, sugar is, is a problem. really, really quick burning fuel. So if you picture like a fireplace, we have newspaper or any kind of, you know, simple paper product that would be like sugar. It's going to burn really quickly and put off a lot of ash versus a good quality firewood that would be more like burning fat. It lasts a long time. It burns a little bit cleaner. It's not the best example ever because both of them are dirty fuels, but you can see the difference between one that burns really quickly and puts out a lot of ash and one that takes a lot longer to burn. Fat is a much cleaner fuel. We get a whole lot more energy out of it, like hundreds time, hundreds of times more energy than we do from sugar, which means you don't have to eat as often. You don't have to eat as much. We're carrying around storage that we can burn at will. The problem is most of us are in that sugar burning mode all the time because we're eating frequently. We're eating a lot of carbohydrates. We're taking in a lot of simple sugars and we're doing this all day long between drinks and foods and snacks and desserts and all of the things that we're constantly in this sugar fed state. When you're in that sugar fed state and your insulin is up, that's what's there to take the sugar into the cells and help lower the blood sugar. When your insulin is up, you can't break down body fat. It blocks the hormone to, that releases the fat from the cells. So you literally can't tap into your stored fuels, which means you're hungry more often. Your brain stops operating until you eat again. You get really sleepy. Sometimes you're sleepy before eating. And then sometimes you're sleepy again after you get these huge energy swings every year you're, you're tired and then you eat and you feel good. And then you crash again and you have to eat again. These are all signs that you're in sugar burning mode only. Yes. And candida thrives on the sugar, doesn't it? Fungus loves the sugar. It kind of makes you want to eat more. <laughs> it does for sure. It causes those cravings. So, um, yeah, so so it reminds me of a firecracker, the burning of sugar. It's like really f fast and furious and a big hit and then crash, and then a crash. Whereas the keto fat burning method gives you a more sustainable, regulated, balanced kind of an energy. It's not like you're lacking in energy because it's a slower burn. It gives you efficiency 
efficiency of energy supply without the big hills and troughs, without the um, the the energy crashes. So that's so to get to um, ketosis, we need more oxygen. So as many meant to say before too that magnesium is an antagonist or sugar rather is an antagonist of magnesium so the higher the sugar sensitivity the less we're getting the benefit of magnesium and and it goes in reverse if the magnesium gets too low in cells um, we become too acidic and we don't absorb the oxygen necessary for the fat uh, metabolism and so we're limited then as magnesium drops lower and be, we become more acidic and low oxygen we're limited to getting any energy at all from sugar burning which is is anaerobic so it doesn't require the oxygen necessary and it, and you can metabolize in an acidic environment that way um, the problem is that it ages us prematurely and causes a lot of problems, including the weight gain. So let's segue now into the insulin issue, which you mentioned before. So getting, so when you're consuming um, food fuel um, and digesting it, assuming that your stomach's working properly too, <laughs> see part one if you if you're not sure. Um, Getting the fuel, the, the glucose final product into the cell requires insulin to be released. And so we can have a number of problems also from magnesium deficiency. Either the um, insulin can't get the glucose into the cell because the cell stays shut because not enough magnesium available, or you don't have enough insulin in the first place to be released to go with that glucose. It's like an escort through the door through the membrane of the cell it needs to be escorted and if you don't have enough magnesium you can't even make enough insulin and then if you can't get the glucose into the cell for the mitochondria to make the um, the ATP energy supply that extra glucose in the blood cannot remain in the blood because it then becomes toxic in the blood so it has to go to the liver and there you have the beginning of fatty liver disease because the liver then is stuck with all this extra glucose and has to make the extra fat to sequester the toxins and the free radicals and acids which can't otherwise be processed efficiently because the energy supply is so low so so you see it becomes a Kind of a merry-go-round or a revolving door people can't get out of that revolving door because one system then has a negative feedback loop into another so how how do you um, help people get out of that revolving door and switch and change something that's become really maybe a long-term chronic issue the first step is always diet. Of course, we want to really reduce that overall sugar intake. The more we can get the sugar out of the diet, the less the body has to respond to it. We just take away the problem, the less the body has to worry about it. So that's the first step. But it also just takes some time to re-equilibrate the body back to other energy sources and how to kind of survive without that constant sugar hit. The brain gets kind of addicted to that sugar. The body gets used to having that sugar hit all the time. You know, it has a huge impact on our neurochemicals, lots of things. So it takes some time to kind of get past that addictive phase. And there's lots of nutrients like magnesium that you talked about that we really have to try to get back in proper levels. We also need the digestion to work well, because that's going to play a huge role. And do we, are we getting enough other adequate nutrients 
to keep you going. So some of this just takes time, but diet is by far the first piece. The second piece would be really getting movement in as often as possible, specifically after you eat. This is one of the little known secrets that a lot of people aren't aware of, that the muscle doesn't necessarily require insulin to allow glucose in. If the muscle is in action, so it's walking, it's working out, it's doing something active, it can suck up glucose without any insulin. Wow, so this can be a yeah, this can be a really great way to lower blood sugar without having that huge insulin spike. Now, of course, we can't manually control the insulin spike. If you take in the sugars, you're going to get the insulin spike before you can ever respond to it. So if you pair the activity after eating with not eating all of the simple sugars and eating a more balanced diet, you can lower and keep your blood sugars lower much easier. And this can be as simple as like a 10 minute walk after meals. This does not have to be a power walk. You don't have to do hills. You don't have to run. This literally can be, you just walk around your neighborhood for 10 minutes after meals can make a huge difference. Now, if you can go longer, that's great. Cause then you can start tapping into those stored fuels as well. You're not just lowering what you just took in with that meal, but you can actually make some headway on what you've had stored as well. So that's one of the, the main things. And you the can third- get oxygen oxygen circulating more, which is what you need for the fat burning. You need the oxygen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in order to tap into the fat burning, you need the oxygen. You also need a low insulin environment so that you can break down that stored body fat. So those are the big keys there. And then the last piece is really that stress management piece, because we know, and I think we talked about this a little bit in part one, Stress also raises blood sugar, even if you're not eating anything, just the simple act of cortisol going up releases stored sugar from your cells and it raises your blood sugar. And it does that from a survival standpoint. If you think about, you know, the caveman fighting a tiger, that's a stressor. And so your cortisol goes up, your adrenaline goes up, your digestion actually slows because that's not a survival function in the moment when you're fighting a tiger. You don't need to be breaking down your food. You actually want to get rid of that food. It doesn't need to weigh you down. So digestion actually slows. But one of the things it does is raise your blood sugar so that you have adequate, ready to burn, quick burning energy to either fight the tiger or run. But most of us are sitting and stewing in our stress. We're not fighting you're tiger. It up. No, you're not using it up. Right. Not, not We're just sitting there. We're worried about things. We're stressing over something that already happened, or we're worrying about something that hasn't yet happened. We're in our minds, we're causing this stress. Or or maybe you're in amongst a bunch of computers and printers and electromagnetic fields and 5G and all sorts of, there's some people, um, I I read 10% of the population are actually electrically sensitive. And so this is a background stress you may not even be consciously aware of, but your environment is always pushing on you. Yeah. Causing that adrenaline rush. Yeah, absolutely. So we have those worries, those emotional stressors that most of us think about when we think of stress. We also have the environmental stressors, like you talked about with the electrical signals and all of these things. We also have environmental toxins and food toxins and chemical additives in our water and our food that we're taking in. We also have hidden infections, high blood sugar all by itself is a stressor. So we really do have to take into account 
all of those sources of stress, not getting enough sleep, not getting enough exercise, oh, that's a too big much one. exercise. <laughs> all of these things are stressors on the body and they're contributing to blood sugar imbalances and therefore insulin imbalances. And therefore we can't tap into our stored fuels. Yeah. Because sleeping is a big one because that's when the brain cleans out the toxic residues from the day's metabolism. And if you don't have a deep restorative sleep, those um, waste products are going to keep circulating. That's why you wake up with brain fog and feeling really lousy if you haven't had a good sleep because the toxins are still there that needs to be eliminated. And so a good deep sleep is so refreshing. I think it's the best vitamin ever. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So oh, so that's good. So we've covered quite a lot of territory in this area. Um, so the exercise and um, good diet, um, you mentioned hormones before. So if someone has an imbalance in hormones, how can that impact excessive weight gain? Say, for instance, someone in menopause and all their life, they really haven't had much of a problem and then suddenly, boom, the, the, the weight doubles. And yep. that's a, a hormonal thing. Yeah, there's periods in our lives when our hormones go kind of wacky. Obviously, we have puberty when things are first starting. We also have the menopause and men go through their own version of andropause. And so there's all of these hormonal swings. We also have environmental impacts that can affect our hormone levels. And so we can have issues with both too low of certain hormones and of too high. The vast majority of weight specific issues seem to stem from estrogen dominance, which means you either have just high levels of estrogen in general, or you have high estrogen relative to some of the other hormones like progesterone, specifically in women. It's that ratio that gets really off. And so relatively you have more estrogen dominance and estrogen goes very much hand in hand with insulin. And it also goes very much hand in hand with body fat storage, specifically around the belly. And so estrogen plays a huge role in where we store our body, our body fat and how much we're kind of storing. And it can also kind of interfere with the breakdown. So we really want those levels to be adequate in men. A lot of times this is your testosterone is actually converting to estrogen. We all have an enzyme in us that makes this transition, but when that enzyme is overactive because of stress, because of blood sugar issues, because of poor diet, because of certain medications, all of these things, it overactivates that enzyme and you convert your testosterone that you want into estrogen that you don't want. And that's what causes the belly fat, some of the man boobs, some of those things yeah, that the girly you know, boys. tend to cause problems. <laughs> the girly mans. <laughs> yeah. And in women, it tends to cause belly fat. It can make changes in bone structure and muscle, you know, your ability to retain yes. your muscle mass. It's, it's a big deal. So hormones really do play a huge role in how much body fat you have and how difficult it is to get rid of. And estrogen dominance. Um, so we need estrogen. It's very vital for functioning that our natural endogenous estrogen, but people, I think usually get estrogen dominance from environmental factors. And so there are synthetic or estrogen mimicking chemicals like plasticizers, which can overload and use those estrogen receptors as a, as a, you know, um, imposter and but it doesn't do what our natural good estrogen does in the body it interferes with our endocrine system 
And so, um, you know, it, it can make you feel histrionic, like um, very uh, fragile and cry a lot and can't cope with stress very well, which is also associated with low magnesium deficiency symptoms. So, <laughs> so that's, they go hand in hand. As you um, lift the magnesium levels, you feel calmer. It dampens down the adrenaline response. You start to think more clearly and, um, and obviously it goes hand in hand with good diet too. Um, you you can find that balance point again. Um, but but it does take a lot of work to retrain the body's old habits into new ones, doesn't it? It sure can, for sure. It, it you know, a lot of these things we've had our whole lives. And to the point that we don't even recognize that we have these habits. We don't even recognize that this is something we shouldn't be doing. It's just, that's who we are. It's what we've always done. And so, yeah, it can be really difficult to make some of these changes and even hormone issues. I know people in their teens who already have hormone issues. And if those aren't dealt with, it seems totally normal. Like that's just your normal, but it's really been imbalanced your whole life. Same thing yes. with gut issues, same thing with nutrient deficiencies. We kind of get used to not feeling very good that it's we don't even recognize that we don't feel good. Yeah, it's a bad habit. We don't recognize, we don't feel, we get used to feeling bad, right? We do. Because it's a habit and it's always been there. But when you change something, then you realize, oh my goodness, this is what it feels like to be feel good. And you notice the difference. So if you work with someone and, and work out what their ideal program is to suit their individual needs, and you follow this program and you you eat this food and avoid that one and you do this exercise and you give them a program. But it's about changing our psychological habits as well. Would you recommend hypnosis? Does that sometimes help as well? Like like in the other kind of addiction? Yeah, it certainly can. You know, there's there's lots of different therapy options. There's lots of different protocols. There's lots of different methods to accomplish the same thing. And part of that is we really just have to find out what's going to work best for you. Some people just adamantly don't believe in hypnosis and it's not going to work on them then, but other people are open to all of it and it works amazingly well. So just like with exercise, some of us love to walk. Some of us love kickboxing or CrossFit or whatever. You have to kind of find your sweet spot with all of these things, with diet, with lifestyle, with exercise, with therapy, with all the things we have to find that sweet spot that you'll do. And when you, when you get that um, mix coming together, that synergistic how everything works together, then the microbiome also rearranges itself, doesn't it? Um, because some people think it'll only rearrange itself when I put some tablets into my stomach. <laughs> but but it doesn't work for everyone. So, you know, it can help. But really, fundamentally, it's all about the food that we eat and the avoidance of the chemicals that may be blocking the digestive system. And getting that part right is fundamental to everything. Um, one last thing I wanted to cover very quickly is in extreme cases, some people do um, fecal transplants and that very instantly changes the gut microbiome and people have a very quick and fast result. So I believe this is gaining in popularity now. Do, uh, do you come across it? Yeah, it's not something I personally deal with, but I do know people who have done it and have had really phenomenal results from either weight management or I worked with one lady who had recurring C. diff infections for years. They She would go on these high dose that's, antibiotics that's to get rid of it. Clostridium difficile. Difficile, <laughs> yes. 
Um, and if this is a serious infection, it causes really acute issues, very severe symptoms, and she would clear it and then it would come back and she'd clear it and it would come back and she'd clear it and it would come back. And this is for her, this was like debilitating. She couldn't work. She couldn't leave the house. She, it was just a mess. Extreme. And mm-hmm. as a last resort, they did this fecal transplant and she has been phenomenal ever since it helped her lose weight, which was not the goal. The goal was really just to stop this recurring infection, but yeah, it totally changed her mm-hmm. entire body. So it, do- it is. It does- it does go hand in hand though with all the lifestyle um, things we've talked about because Absolutely. you can't just have the fecal transplant and go back to your old habits because then you'll just change those microbes back to where they were because exactly. it's environmentally influenced. Absolutely. The, there are no miracle cures. Everything requires the foundational work, the diet, the lifestyle, toxin removal, sleep, stress management, all the things you still have to do that. It's just some of these techniques like probiotics, like fecal transplants, like some supplements can get you there faster, but really what's going to keep you there is the lifestyle Fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, we'll finish. Thank you so much for joining us today. And just quickly, how can people contact you to learn more? Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. I love part two. I hope you get a great value out of both parts. If you're interested in learning more about what I do and how I can help people with their health challenges, you can find me on my website at healthylifewithandrea.com. Lovely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. I hope you liked this conversation and will share it with others. Hear more from Body Charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on blogs, podcasts, videos, and magnesium special offers at electromagnesium.com.au. Relax, recharge and recover.